started our series by talking about the importance of waiting on God, that we don't do things in our timing and our plan, but we wait on the Lord. And the disciples were gathered in an upper room waiting on God. And then the day of Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit of God fell in power. And Peter, who had not long ago denied his allegiance to Christ, suddenly is proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ for all people. He goes from this to this. And um, next week, Pastor George is going to be unpacking that. What does it mean to be all in witnesses today? But we're going to jump to the end of Acts chapter 2 today and think about what does it mean to be an all in fellowship of believers, an all in community in this day and age. Peter has preached the gospel. He's told the people of the love of God, not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile, for everyone. And the Bible says that the people were, were feeling that God was doing something. They were, wanted to know how they respond to this great good news. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that the people asked, what shall we do? This is response time. God is doing something and they say, what shall we do? And like they asked then, this passage we're going to read today may be really familiar to some of us. In fact, in church, we've talked about this quite a lot over the last couple of years. Maybe you're hearing it for the first time today. You've never heard this. But I want to invite us to view it again today through a lens of response. Even if you've read it hundreds of times before, to read this passage of scripture like you are responding to the good news of Jesus Christ for the first time and you're asking this question and you're saying, God, thank you, but what shall I do? What shall we do? I'm going to read from verse 38. Peter replied to their question, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So in response to this question, what should we do? God's speaking to us. God's moving. What should we do? Peter says, there's an action, repent, which means to turn away from your sin and your old ways and follow Jesus and be baptized, which is a visible sign of what God is doing has done for you. And then there's a promise, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And I start here today, because then, if you've got a Bible with you, it probably then has like a subheading between verse 41 and verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. And it probably says something like the fellowship of believers. Or it might say, like my version does, the believers form a community. And often when there's a subheading or a like, new chapter in the Bible, what we tend to do when we read it is pause. You know, it's like a full stop or the end of a paragraph. Um, but what I want us to do today is, is to read this passage of Scripture without that pause. And the point I want to make is this, that fellowship, being together, forming a community, was the response to the gospel. Let's read it from verse 41 straight through. So they've just asked, what shall we do? Peter says this, and then it, the Bible says this. 
Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread together in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Fellowship is a response to the gospel. The word, the Greek word in the original text for fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. It means to share in, to participate in, to contribute to, to commune. It means to be together. The early church was together and was a family of believers with Jesus as their head. This was a shared community that involved a deep, close-knit participation amongst its people. I was struck on Thursday, I think it was, as I was watching the um, service of reflection and prayer for the late queen held at St. Paul's Cathedral. And in her uh, sermon, the Bishop of London, Sarah Mullally, quoted the queen from a message that she gave on the 6th of February, 2012. And I thought it apt to share this today. The Queen said this, In this special year, as I dedicate myself and you to your service, I hope we will all be reminded of the power of togetherness and the convening strength of family, friendship, and good neighborliness. Fellowship. Fellowship appears as a word in the passage of Scripture we've read, but it is the theme of the overall section of Scripture. This was what the church were, but it was what they did as well. They were together. All these things, they, they were a fellowship and they fellowshiped. They were together. They spent time together. They were a community. Fellowship is a response to the gospel. Repent, be baptized, and do life together. So what shall we do? When our hearts, when we feel God doing something, what shall we do? When the Holy Spirit arrests our hearts, what's our response? Are we to be like that Acts 2 church? Are we literally to take everything we've just read and say, that's who we are? Are we supposed to sell all of our possessions and give to whatever needs there are within our church community? Hmm. Are we supposed to have everything in common? Are we supposed to not just meet on a Sunday, but meet every day? Some of you are like, please no. (laughs) Other things that the Acts Acts 2 church was that actually don't apply to today, or we don't need to do. That's what I want to unpack a little bit today as we think about being all in when it comes to fellowship. Because I believe that passage we've read is a mandate, not just for that church, not just for history, but for today, for the 2022 MKCC church. And I believe this next sentence I'm going to say kind of sums up 
what that could look like. You see, the early church, wait for it, was a learning, fellowshipping, eating, praying, awe-filled, power-demonstrating, radically generous, consistent, glad, praise-filled, running out of fingers, well-thought-of, growing body of Jesus followers. And I think we can be that as well. None of those words are there by accident. They're all in the passage of Scripture we have read today. And none of them happen by our strength or ability or our wisdom. They happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. They happen by the power of God. That miraculously this fellowship, this community forms only by his power. The first thing they did, and I believe this is a non-negotiable for any gathering of believers, whether 30 people in a home, or even less, or 30,000 in a megachurch, the Acts 2 church devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread or eating together and to prayer. I've said this before, but um, two of my children play football. And they're really good. They're great footballers. They're so much better than I was when I was their age. But because of that, I think I want them to get better. I want them to grow and develop. Um, But sometimes it feels like hard work. Now, they love football. They absolutely love it. They know more than me. But then I say, why don't you go and kick a ball today? Get off your screen and go and kick a ball every day. Practice. And I can hear the words of my parents reverberating in my ears when I was supposed to be practicing the piano or the guitar. And they'd go, practice. And I'd be like, I don't want to practice. I don't want to practice. Why is practice such hard work? When they eventually go out and play football, Vicky, my wife, tells me off because I go out and try and coach them. And she says, just let them play. But why does practice seem painful? Why does it seem hard work? Why does it seem boring? Why does regularity and consistency feel mundane? And why does it seem to result in more procrastination than proactivity? I don't know if anyone relates to that. You know, the the everyday can feel like hard work. I tell them this. I say, you want to be a footballer? How many minutes does a footballer play a game each week? And they kind of go, well, maybe 90 minutes a week. If there's a midweek game, maybe 180. Okay, an hour and a half to three hours they play. They, They play their game. How many hours do they practice in the week? And they kind of go, okay, every day? Yes, that's my point, kids. (laughs) The point is this, their job is to practice. So they're ready when game day comes. And I wonder if that could be an analogy for our Christian lives. Perhaps we can do match day church. But maybe some of us at different seasons and different times of life can struggle or even procrastinate when it comes to the daily practice of being the people of God. You see, fellowship needs constant attention. The word that we read, they devoted themselves, 
in the Greek is a word called proskaterio. I'm probably going to pronounce it differently in different services. So um, I'm no Greek scholar, but proskaterio carries a sense that they constantly attended to these things. Not occasionally, they constantly. You know, it also carries this sense that they devoted themselves to. They kept on doing these things. They persisted to. They stayed close to. If you've done the maturity class that we do as part of our growth track, then the way we kind of define it there is that they were addicted to these things. They kept coming back to teaching, to prayer, to fellowship, to eating together. I love that sense that they were constantly attending to these four things. I think this is a challenge because this definitely translates to our following of Jesus and our fellowship with each other. Do I and do we do these four things? It's a challenge to pastors and leaders, but it's a challenge to every individual who says, I'm part of this church or I'm part of any church. Am I committed to, am I constantly attending to teaching? Am I under the word of God day by day, every day? Maybe even if it seems like a chore sometimes. Am I under the word of God and wanting to learn from his goodness and his grace and his teaching? Am I saying this is the guide for my life? Not just on match day on Sunday, but every day. When it comes to fellowship, am I, are we, constantly attending to being with other Christians? Are we making it a priority to have other believers living life with us, shoulder to shoulder, life on life, people who spark our faith, who draw us to deeper devotion to Jesus Christ, who call us to higher things, who spur us on to love one another? When it comes to eating and breaking bread together, am I constantly attending? Are we constantly attending to, to doing that with one another, to eating together, to remembering the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ as we do? Is that just a Sunday thing that we do maybe once a month or is it a daily practice where we're remembering Jesus as we eat together? And prayer, am I, are we, are we attending constantly to being in the presence of God, to talking to him, to listening to him? Is that an individual daily practice? Or is it just something we do on a Sunday? Is it a corporate daily practice when we gather with other Christians that we say, hey, let's, let's pray together? For the Greek reader, those four things, learning, eating, fellowshipping, and prayer were not a progressional list where number one was more important. They all held the same amount of weight. The early church's response to the gospel was to stay close to these things. Are we? Do we? Will we? You see, I believe when we lose our connection to one or some of these things, we begin to dilute maybe, or, or lose our distinctiveness and power as the church of Jesus. And this image of fellowship, of being together and gathering around meals speaks of a church that understood, and may we understand, that fellowship and life together can't be occasional and careless. It has to be deliberate, intentional, and real. 
And do you know what they did? Is they attended constantly to these four things, these foundations. They started to see God move in and through them. How did he move? Well, this body of believers became an awe-filled, power-demonstrating, radically generous, consistent, glad, praise-filled, well-thought-of, growing body of Jesus followers. They became awe-filled, verse 43. I want to be part of an awful church. Do you? A church that's full of awe. Not an awful church as in not very good. A, a church that is full of awe. That when we worship together, that when we gather together on a Sunday and beyond, we go, hey, Jesus is good, isn't he? Wow, thank you, God. You know, I had, in the first services we were worshiping, I just had a moment where God kind of did something in me and I went, thank you. Like, just a recollection, a realization of his love for me. That God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to this world because he loves me, because he loves you. And his son, Jesus, lived a perfect life. His son, Jesus, was the Messiah, the promised savior of God who died on a cross for the forgiveness of sin, whatever our past has been, and who rose again, defeating death, so that sin could be erased, so that life could be promised now and for eternal. So victory is won. And I went, wow, thank you, Jesus. I'm in awe of you. I wonder, are you full of awe for everything that God has done for you? The church were also a power-demonstrating church. Verse 43, they saw signs and wonders, people healed, delivered and restored. And, you know, I'm so encouraged every time I hear today of miracles happening in the life of people in our church. When people testify to what God is doing, you go, wow, fantastic. But sometimes we can pursue the signs and wonders Verse 43, at the expense of the foundation, verse 42. A friend of mine a few years said, "Um, could you give me a hand? I've got some DIY that I need to do. And I've said, sure, what what do you want to do? He said, I'm going to build a 40-foot extension. Oh, sounds a bit more than DIY. So um, I thought, well, he can't do it alone, so I'm going to help him. So my day off was a Tuesday, and every Tuesday I went to help him. First day we got to his house, and he realized that he couldn't get the mini digger into the garden because there was no access, so he had to drive it through the house. Um, So we got the mini digger into the back garden, started digging trenches, went through two water pipes. It was a good start. Um, and, And eventually, after many months, the extension was built. But what that first day told me is this. You... It's a building principle. You have to get your foundations right. And the foundations of things like seeing miracles in the church, of seeing the Holy Spirit break out in power, I believe, is attending to those daily practices. Get the foundations right. And I believe as we do, people will be healed. Relationships will be mended. Marriages will be restored, friendships will be reclaimed, bad habits will be abandoned, the chains of sin will be loosed, the gospel will be proclaimed, because this is all signs and wonders. But let's get the foundations right. 
Are you expectant to see the power of God move today in and through you? Let's be a power demonstrating church. They were also radically generous, verse 44 to 45. They sold everything they had and gave to whoever was in need. Okay, I don't like this one. The thing is, though, we often read it like the creation of a, rule, of, of a law or a rule. Repent, be baptized, live in community, sell everything you have. Now, this was a response to need. This was going, we're a family, we're together, and actually there's a need here. There's a need here. How do we respond to that need? What should we do? Well, we've got something, let's sell it and help. It was a gospel response. It wasn't the creation of a rule. And sometimes with these challenging passages of Scripture, what we can do is say, sell all you have and give to the poor. And we go, no, thank you. So we make our position here. That doesn't apply to today. But what I think our position probably should be is that we should be radically generous. Not just generous, radically generous. Because that's radical, isn't it? Selling all you have and giving to whatever need there is. That's radical. We should be radically generous. You know, one way we do that in 2022 is we've got our benevolence fund. And it's not perfect. I'm sure their system wasn't perfect. But it's a way of going, I'm all in. I'm going to give generously, radically generously, and I believe that's going to meet needs in our church family. And it does, but there can be so much more. Are you willing to be radically generous to help alleviate need in the body of Christ? Verse 46, they were consistent. Day by day, the Bible says, they attended the temple courts and then they broke bread in their homes as well. It needs to be understood that this kind of fellowship doesn't just happen doesn't just happen on match day on a Sunday. Day by day, Luke tells us. And they understood the importance of connection. And if your connection to church is occasional and inconsistent, hear my heart in this, but I believe you're shortchanging yourself of those truly deep and meaningful relationships that only arise from life lived together. This isn't about church attendance. It's not about a tick box. It's about a relationship and a rhythm of life that we go, we're better together. This is about family. And those things don't happen when you're either not present or rarely present. Rick Warren said this, we're created for community, fashioned for fellowship, and formed for a family. And none of us can fulfill God's purposes by ourselves. Are you consistently connected to Christians? Whoa, I am running out of time. Verse 46, they were glad. You know, when you come into church, when you see other Christians, are you glad? Not only were they glad, but out of that gladness came praise. I love this. I think they, were, they praised God for what he'd done in their life. But I think they also praised God because before their eyes was this community forming of different people with different views, with different backgrounds, with different experiences. And before their eyes, God was drawing them together and saying, I'm in this. I think that's powerful and it's miraculous. But let me ask you this. When you see other believers, is praise the first utterance on your lips? Do you go, God, I thank you for these guys. Yeah, they might be different, 
They might have different views. But we're a family. Not only that, verse 47, they were well thought of. They had favor with all the people. I think this is miraculous as well. That when people saw the gathering of believers from outside, they said, there's something different about them. Let's be a church where people see us, see that we're for Milton Keynes, and see that there's something different about us. Let our faith and our fellowship draw respect. And finally, verse 47, they were growing. They didn't grow from their own plans, strategies, wisdom, or skill. They grew, Luke said, because the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This was God-driven growth. Doesn't mean they were inactive. They sat there and let God do it all. No, they proclaimed the gospel. They went out and God drew people to himself. And I believe he'll do the same for us. If we too seek to become that kind of family, united in the gospel, bold in our witness, sincere in our love, faithful in our life lived together, God will grant the increase. This isn't just history. This is a living possibility for the church today. And as I close, I'm just going to finish with this. I love it because there's some symmetry in this text. Verse 41 says this, The Lord did a miracle. He added to their number. On that day, 3,000 people or more became followers of Jesus. A miracle. What did those people do? They devoted themselves to prayer, to teaching, to eating and to fellowship. Then God kept increasing them as they continued to devote, as they continued to be addicted and to constantly attend, the Lord added to their number what daily those who were being saved. It strikes me that maybe the easiest way to see the miracles and the power of God is through miracles. And that's brilliant. But perhaps the hardest way is to see the power of the Holy Spirit when God works in our everyday, in the mundane, in the daily practices and rhythms of life. When we hold diverse and different interests, views, theologies and philosophies, yet God by his Holy Spirit says you are one and you can have everything in common. Don't hear me wrong, be expectant for the miraculous, but be expectant in the mundane and ordinary. The Holy Spirit acts to all in church was all these things. So let us be a Holy Spirit Acts 2 2022 church. Let's learn together, fellowship together, eat together, pray together. All filled, power demonstrating, radically generous, consistent, glad, praise filled, well thought of growing body of Jesus followers. Who's in? Shall we pray? What shall we do? Lord, we want to be your church reflective of what we see in your word. We want to be these things and grow. And we ask your Holy Spirit to fill us afresh today as we respond to your good news. Thank you, Lord. Grow in us awe. Lord, we want to see your power displayed. Lord, we come with glad and sincere hearts and we worship you today. Help us as we go daily to eat, to fellowship, to pray and to learn. Thank you, Jesus.